This program is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks. You'll find over 100,000 titles in just about every genre. And if you want to listen to Megan Abbott's Dare Me and help keep this wonderful show going, sign up at www.audiblepodcast.com bat for a free audiobook, a 30-day trial, perhaps a hug in the future. Because sometimes you need more in life than 409 and a fresh pair of gloves to clean up a dead body. So I am here, once again, with Megan Abbott, who is most recently the author of Dare Me. Megan, how are you doing? Doing well. Glad to be back. Glad to have you here. Now, um, we are sort of doing this secretly. Um, we've tried to flag down a waitress to be polite, so it's very possible we may have to order during the midst of this conversation. However, we will talk and see what we can do. That sounds good. So, I'm, I'm ready. So, uh, let's start off. I saw that you wrote a New York Times piece uh, about Bring It On. Um, but you use this piece to point out to certain realities of how cheerleaders are depicted in our culture. Uh, you know, you point to the portrayal of cheerleaders in two modes, ironic and ideal. Um, I'm wondering if some fulfillment of these two criteria is actually necessary to have a plausible narrative these days. What are your thoughts on this? And, and maybe this is a good way of describing how you... You zeroed the needle right. for, for Dare Me. Yeah, it's, uh, it always sort of, and I, I admit I'm completely vulnerable to both. I love both yeah. the ideal <laughs> and the ironic. And I, every, every cultural reference I had in there, you know, are things I kind of love. You know, I, you know Twin Peaks, you know, and all the sort of doomed, beautiful, perfect cheerleaders who, who become corrupted I love. And I love all the ironic ones, you know, some more than others. But, um, but it, it, it just seems, it's, I mean, the word I didn't use in the piece that I avoided using is postmodernism, but that's yeah. essentially what has sort of overtaken the, the cheerleader. She doesn't exist as a person, and probably never did. Um, and, and so when I actually started to look at actual cheerleaders, the the divide felt even greater than in my day in the 1980s, when when it was they were still somewhat enmeshed. Cheerleaders themselves were responding to the idea that they were cheerleaders and they should act as as cheerleaders in popular culture did. Cheerleaders uh, cheerleading about themselves. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But that I don't think that's true at all today. And I think that they the, that serious serious cheerleaders. Um, and I shouldn't air quote that, but I did um, because they are serious. Real um, cheerleaders. They, Bonafide they, cheerleaders. I think they line themselves up much more to, to gymnasts, to, to to serious athletes, and and then that's the sort of parallel. And uh, and I would even take it further. When I look at them, I I see them as more closely associated with Marines, boxers, um, you know, the sort of great risk, you know, like, like pilots ready to go down. Um, I, I can, you know, yeah, down, kamikazes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I think that there's even, even, you know, even more interesting aspects to them than being hardcore athletes. So we should be making World War II movies with cheerleaders in place of the soldiers. No, it's yeah. I actually thought about that when I was writing the piece because you know how those old movies would always have the, you know, they'd have the guy from Brooklyn yes. and, they, and the Oki and, you know, etc. You, the you longest day with cheerleaders. Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh, that's such a great pitch. <laughs> 
That'll we can make a million dollars. Seriously, right here, right um, here. Well, I mean, you know, the ironic mode, however, I would say that given the fact that you have cheerleaders who are purging, who are regurgitating, mm -hmm. who are, you know, in fact, one common motif that you repeat, I think, three times in the book mm -hmm. is the hair behind the head as they puke into the toilet. Um, you know, to a certain degree, that is ironic in light of the physical robustness of these cheerleaders that mm -hmm. along with lines uh, also the lemon tea diets and all that right so I would argue that perhaps you are working in some ironic mode in the sense that you're taking um, a very feminine ideal mm -hmm. and hardening it up to some degree to right. that same level that we generally put football players or as you point out here uh, military people and so right forth. no and I think the, the the sort of eating eating various bad eating habits let's yes. say of the girls um, has to do with with more making weight like wrestlers than yeah. with girls wanting to have perfect bodies and 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 that was that sort of extremism um, is what it really interested me but it also became interestingly because I was not a cheerleader yes um, you were you know I was <laughs> imagine but um the, the but you came in with your pom-poms and everything. I know, I know. You've been, like you've been deceiving me the entire well, time. Afterward, I'll show you. Okay. But I, um, oh, I, <laughs> it, it I brought my little barrette to twirl. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> anyway. Good, good, good. I will be dandling. Um, it just strikes me that it's really that it's almost like the cheerleader is the metaphor for being a girl because these are the things girls do but the cheerleader is the heightened form of it you know girls suffer mightily in high school they do bad things to themselves and others they torture each other um, the, there was always this great Seinfeld joke that stuck into my head about how terrible boys are in high school and Elaine says oh we never treated each other like that we would just tease each other until we gave each other eating disorders <laughs> and, and that always struck me as really true so that the, the cheerleader in my case I am sort of metaphor Metaphorizing it or ironizing it in some way because it just it's a stand-in for how hard it is being a girl. Yeah. Well, um, you know, let's talk about the research that you did. I know that you have said that you have observed various cheerleading practice. Um, was this actually in person? Was this on YouTube? Uh, it was all online. It was I, all I did, online. Yeah, all online. You all actually, YouTube. Did you YouTube. talk to any cheerleaders? I at all? did okay. via, via email. Um, only. I didn't oh, want. Oh, really? Well, I'm. You know, I'm not a journalist. Um, I, um, nor do I pretend to be. And. But you and play one on TV. I do exactly. And I, and I guess part of me. Um, didn't didn't want I felt that even in my email interviews that they were they were performing for me in a, in a way like yeah. I wasn't really seeing them as they they were I would be an intruder so online or watching them online or, or watching them on message boards where they where they didn't know anyone was listening yeah. um, seemed to be the purest and most authentic view I, I could get yeah. um, when they didn't care because they, they post their practices, you know, and they're, they're performing a little always, they're performers. Um, but um, I just felt like I was getting a more authentic view of it. And then to a certain point, I didn't want to talk to any of them because it might... Um, change things. I mean, my version of it is very heightened. And once I decided how I wanted the world in the book to be, I didn't want anything to realism get, would realism get in the way, get yeah, the way yeah, of, yeah. of the sort of hyper reality of the book. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. So it seems to me that you were almost collecting textual snippets through these email interviews because the book is very heavy on text messages. <laughs> and in fact, there's one interesting thing, you know, you have the sort of iPhone font and the <laughs> yeah. italicized thought of yeah. something from a previous statement. And, right. I, and I'm wondering, you know, what this did to kind of get 
this hyper-real mode that you devised after soaking yourself so much in cheerleading culture. Right, yeah. It was so, from, you from know, afar. Yeah, from the begin at the beginning, I was so worried about the texting because I thought, how am I going to do No one wants to read texts in a novel. No one's going to text you. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't pretend to be a cheerleader. No, no, exactly. And, you know, you know, there is nothing more depressing than reading texts because they're so meant for some kind of quick communication. Yeah. But once I sort of realized there's a mechanism for the way that girls can torture each other, the way that they can be present, where people can be present when they're not present. Yeah. You know, there's a scene where one of the cheerleaders keeps sending texts to, to the main girl, Addie. Um, and it's so it's almost like she's there, but she's not there. So it became, so that sort of text and the snippets became this opportunity to be this sort of voices in the head, you yeah. know, or, or the classic noir kind of voiceover or yeah. the voice over the shoulder or the tap on the shoulder. So I once I found a way to, to turn it into something else, I, I felt it was sort of, it become mine somehow. Yeah. Well, this also leads me to ask you, because I was reading this book, and the sense I got was that there may have been a, an ambition at one point along the way to write a recession novel. I based this off oh. of a couple of interesting aspects. The apartment building mm -hmm. where nobody is living. Mm -hmm. The coach's husband, who we understand is, you know, has done some work in engineering, right. uh, now works in statistics, and, um, and, and is ex always extremely tired. Um, and, and, and it led me to wonder, you know, well, you know, I wonder if Megan was at some point thinking that this might be a recession novel. Also, because you have the teenagers using laptops, not tablets, uh -huh. um, despite the fact that it is very tech-savvy mm -hmm. and very uh, tech-fluid. Right. So I'm wondering, you know, did, did you envision this as a sort of 2008 response in some sense? Or? I, I never thought of that, but I tell you, I did want the adult world to seem very sad <laughs> and bleak, you know, and, and so I do think there is... That, that, that did sort of, you, don't you say. know, felt like a, you know, like, like why would these girls ever want to be a part of the real world as it is now? And yeah. so that sense, and, you know, one of the characters is, is, you know, back from Afghanistan. You know, the world is awful out there. These jobs, grown-up jobs seem terrible. Um, all, you know, parent, their parents are completely absent in yeah. their lives. So I did want the sort of a notion of what being a grown-up could be in the world today is not something that they would ever want to be. So. So why wouldn't they put all their energies and passions and everything into their relationships with each other? Sure. Um, so I think in, in that way, too. Um, and I had been sort of influenced in terms of that ap empty apartment building. That, that is something I, whenever I'm in any place but New York, I see everywhere now. And it always seems like a haunting image to me about, you know, it's sort of your idea of adulthood uh, um, is so grand from the outside. And then you yeah. walk, it's like you walk inside and yeah. it's half empty. And there's a, there's a body in one of the rooms, yes, you exactly. Know? You know, so and that's the ultimate yeah. statement of how sad it is. Yeah, exactly. The little, you know, and there's you know, always the real estate signs out there. You know, yeah. Move in, someone just, just died. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> luxury condos available, discounted. You know. um, I don't want to give away the nature of the dead body too mm -hmm. much, but I, I have to ask because it does come about halfway through the mm -hmm. book. Um, it, le it leads me to wonder because the book takes its time to set up this very meticulous cheerleading world. Um, did you always envision this particular death in the mm. book, uh, mm -hmm. having this kind of mystery element? Because it, it just it just sort of it just sort of happens, yeah. and then the entire book 
has this sea change to mystery novel, and then it turns into something else. Right. And I'm wondering, you know, because to, to a certain degree, I, I would yes. say this is a transition novel for mm -hmm. you. And, and I'm wondering, you know, how much mystery you wanted to, to cling on to while you were mm -hmm. also experimenting with this world. How much right. of this book was about generating the world and how much of it was sort of seeing what you can do to stretch the genre aspect. Right, yeah. I mean, the, to, for me, the crime was always in there, but only as a tool for, to work for the power relations that would disrupt the power. You know, there, there were these battle for power and then at a certain point, someone had to have something over somebody. Yes. And that's how the crime came in. But to me, it was it was, I was reading Richard III obsessively when I started. I understand and that, that. And that was my main idea is that it would be something like the way crime operates in that world. Yeah. Um, and that, and that there would be this notion of sort of plucking off rivals, and the way that you would really have something over someone is if a crime occurs um, and needs, and some people are trying to conceal it from other people. So it's sort of like um, it's sort of the MacGuffin, or you know, in some ways. Um, but I did originally have the plan for a different person to be the per the body in the room. So that did change. So I would say that that's true. That it, you know, the 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 crime itself was less important to me than what it did to this delicate you know operation between these girls and, yes. and that was that was what I wanted to focus on I have to ask you about this Richard the yeah. third how many times did you reread this I found yeah. out after I finished your book yeah. that there was this Richard the third element and I was like I, I totally didn't see that and, I, yeah. I, and I'm a big Richard the third fan oh yeah yeah, and, uh, yeah I didn't see any House of Yorkshire in this yeah, or anything yeah, like yeah. that so but I guess it was and I don't have like people to, well I, there's a little bit I mean there there is I mean, it makes sense in hindsight yeah. but even then it's so loose and, yeah and, no and, it's totally loose it was sort of the idea of um this sort of well and you don't know who the Richard the third is because it shifts exactly. a little bit. Um, but I, I, I had some ideas. I was thinking about this yeah. for about an hour. Yeah. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> who is the Richard III? Exactly. Who do they, but, it, but it's sort of that there's the advisor yeah. who's with you only so far. And then and then they, you fear they will turn on you. Yes. And the sense of um, the ugliness of, of real ambition and power and the way, and the sort of paranoia. Um, so it, it was not a one-to-one. -one. It's, it's at one point I thought it might be. Um, um, but uh, well, how many times I, did you reread this? I read it a lot, and then I watched different versions of it. I was so you know there were there's a few. I don't wish I could remember the Ian McKellen one. Yeah, there's, yes, yes, the Ian McKellen yes. one, and, and looking for Richard, and and a few of uh, the Ian McKellen was the one I had remembered the most. So it sort of informed it for me um, the most. But and then these sort of very innocent, the sort of innocence, you know, in Richard the Third. I yeah. wanted to have versions of that and the spectacle element, and then sort of the the sort of desperation at the end I wanted to be yeah. in there so it's more the pulses of the play there's a few and I wish I could remember there were, there are a few lines where I sort that I started to riff on them but I'll have to find them for you so no now is the of our discontent though <laughs> that was no, the no, obvious I choice know, I know yeah. I know <laughs> well, well this leads me to I mean did you want to just obsessively watch versions of Richard III and read Richard III over yeah. and over again so that you had this structure in your head yeah. so that you had it cold but it was also kind of fluid enough for you to do whatever you wanted that, that you needed to, this is the only way for you to actually get into that cheerleading world was to have a narrative structure like yeah, this. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly yeah. it. I had to sort of read it and read it until I absorbed it and didn't have to think about it while I wrote, but that it would somehow be in there because it was it was a little, you know, before I found Richard III, it was a, I was thinking about Deadwood a lot um, and the idea of the two, the bad guy and the good guy crossing over yeah. uh, as they do on that. So you don't, you know, want, there's two sort of powers in the town, in the wild west town, in Deadwood. Yeah. And, 
and the one, you know, and they sort of switch positions as this. Sh so I wanted, so that was sort of one of the other elements I was thinking of. You know, really, these sort of, it was to me, it was entirely a book about power and it, and its abuses. Um, and so those, so I wanted to sort of. I, exactly as you say, just sort of absorbed it so that it would just sort of come through without being too tortured. But you're, you're looking into cheerleading culture, you're seeing some kind of power dynamic, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. You know, it just it's really curious that you would go to Shakespeare of all places, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to say, I don't know, political biographies right. or uh, politics, of the, I mean, yeah. the Robert Carroll books or something like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to find out, you know, this level of ambition. I, I mean, you know, did you just want to go straight to the source? Is that the idea here? Yeah, well, yeah, it was funny. I was talking with my dad about it and he, he's a political theory yeah. uh, professor and 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 he was seeing um, Henry IV and Henry V in it and Hotspur you know we, we, we both that's both how that went growing up that's how we always that was always how we connected because I was the English major and he was the the political theorist. So you were getting so, the parallels going. Yeah, I see. yeah, and so so I always sort of see those two. It's the same the same thing somehow. Um, I'm sure Robert Caro is in there somehow. I'm too, sure. You know? I'm sure. I'm sure. In fact, a, quite a, in terms of the the rhetoric. Yeah. Um, how Beth, sort of the mean girl cheerleader, speaks. Her words are um, the way that, for instance, LBJ would use profanity to of sort of shock and you know and I wanted Beth to sort of be like that that her words would be so grand and heavy in the first draft she speaks a lot like Shakespeare like it was way too much I had to scale her back she was <laughs> lots of these and those yeah exactly <laughs> she was yeah she her middle English was yeah, excellent but that's uh, not gonna work yeah. for 2012 no <laughs> no but I wanted her to be the one that you know the one of those people in your life where you when they open your, their mouth, you're a little afraid. Like yeah. you could be with LBJ because it could turn like on a dime. You know? Sure, sure. Um, there, the thematic carryover from the end of everything that I noticed, um, much like Lizzie's perspective, you have Addie's parents largely absent from the narrative. Um, there's a part of me that, that thought, hey, it's sort of like Fast Times Richmond High where the teenagers are given and viewed as adults. But, you know, I gotta say, even Megan, even Fast Times had <laughs> yeah. parents within its world. And the parents in this, you know, Addie's parents, there's this, something about sleeping pills, yeah. which is kind of a convenient way mm -hmm. for them not to be involved, especially since I, I was surprised because if your daughter is a, is a very is a top cheerleader, yep. aren't you going to be there at the games? Aren't you going to make sure that she has the right gear and so forth? Yeah. I mean, the lack of supervision from adults is fascinating to me, but at the same time, it's also I would say, well, okay, I see what you're doing, yep. but in in a weird way, it's kind of a cop out. So I'm wondering, mm -hmm. you know, why couldn't you get ad the adult to teen? culture in this. Do you feel that the only way to understand teenagers is to view them through this sort of adult prism? Or at least no, this, or? it was entirely because the because it's first person teenage yeah. girl. And I remember being at that age completely forgot that my parents existed. Yeah. So because it's Addie's perspective, I didn't, her parents are, are completely irrelevant to her. Yeah. Her world is her peers. And I think for girls on squads and for boys on football teams, and for me, in my case, it was, you know, it was my group of friends. And, you know, we, the, my, the, my parents, I, you know, I would barely see them. I, they didn't exist to me. And I liked my parents, you yeah. know. And I, so I wanted it to be that experience where, um, and for these girls, I think that's absolutely, I also think they have somewhat neglectful 
parents because well, sure. their parents are somewhat scared of them. Yeah. And I think that does happen especially now less so in my generation but but I think you know no one wants to think certain things about their daughters and and now it's sort of in parents face more than ever before because of social media because of YouTube because of Facebook yeah. and I think you know seeing their their daughters you know um, you know you know pulling their shirts up at parties yeah. and stuff like that there's this distance um, and when it, you know reading these girls um, met you know on on Facebook and messages to each other, it's like they don't have parents, yeah. honestly. So so I wanted it to reflect, it had to be true to Addie's perspective, and to Addie, her parents are irrelevant. Would you say that the cheerleaders you peeped on were, in fact, spending whole nights as Addie was at you know various other houses? That you see a lot of this in your investigations? Well, I don't know about that, but that was my experience. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, you know, it was, it was that, that's just the way it was, and, you know, and the, you know, in the suburbs and you know we're all staying over at so-and-so so you know yeah. that's just you just only wanted to be with each other and and that's what creates this sort of in these cases this really troublesome dynamic and that's also why coach becomes such a powerful influence because sure. they don't if they had parents coach wouldn't matter so much so that also needed to be in there that she was filling a bunch of gaps for them including that one that's why they want to be at her house they want you know they do have some desire for some kind of connection yeah but they want that connection to be someone who feels closer to them but it's also interesting how the husband serves as this sort of surrogate father who can be manipulated it's yeah. almost as if um, by having a kind of surrogate parent in another house, they can then toy with this guy yeah. because they can't do it at home. Right. No, yeah. exactly. Exactly. They're sort of experimenting with adulthood through yeah. coach. Um, exactly. And, and that, that's one of the ways they're figuring out the world. And they're getting all the wrong lessons, of course. But Well, while we're on the subject of coach, I, I should point out that she reminded me very much of Gloria Denton in Queen Pain. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, this sort of tough as nails, mm -hmm. tell it like it is teacher uh, who just a young woman totally believes in. And this leads me to ask you about the idea of belief culture when committing a crime. I mean, you know, why do you think you're attracted to this idea of a criminal who believes in someone and it's that belief that encourages them to commit the crime not some sort of dormant impulse of uh, evil and so forth I oh, mean, it's, it's, interesting. It's, 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 it's interesting to me that your your criminals tend to need to be persuaded or to believe in, in, in another person in order to actually right. do bad things so why is that thing yeah yeah no that's so interesting I never thought about that like I guess that feels more real to me I I don't really believe you've dated a lot of cult uh, leaders in the past know, I don't really believe that pe that except for in very few exceptions in the sociopathic realm that people commit crimes because they have evil impulses. I think most people get themselves in situations, their feelings overtake them, and they make bad choices. And, and that's always I, sort of a devotee of true crime forever. And those are always my favorite ones. And they're the best ones, too, because that's really almost always how it occurs, whether you're talking about In Cold Blood or Executioner's Song or any of any, you know, or even the simplest of true crime book. People always get themselves in these situations because they believe something they shouldn't believe or they want to believe something that isn't true or they find out something that someone that they thought was true to them was not and I, I think that that's really almost always how crime occurs well, what about mr. Holmes and Aurora I mean that would you that's not necessarily belief culture that's like no. dormant impulse no I that's yeah. why I mean I, I, yeah. I mean I just can't call him a sociopath because I don't know yeah, the circumstances yeah. but I do think that those are spe 
special cases, and those are people sort of lost in their own mind. Or the San Ysidro killer at McDonald's, or you know things like right, that. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I think that those are no, those kinds of stories are never the ones I've been interested in telling. Um, they're tragic. They're and, too predictable, you say? Well, no. I mean, they're just um, they're weak. There's no connection for us to them. I, when I write a book, I want people to find someone they can identify with. And the only way to write about a relatable sociopath is to have a sociopath or a criminal yeah. uh, believe in something rather than just be evil from the get-go. I mean, have you right. ever tried to like write a story or, or a book about, say, sort of like a, a, an absolute psychopath along the lines of, like, say, yeah. Charles Whitman or something like that? No, or? I've never wanted to do that, even though I, li I like reading a lot of things like that, but they feel so cold to be with for long. Um, it, the, the, it's too much of a bummer for, is. like, a multi-year No, it's prospect. true. In, in fact, <laughs> In fact, Dare Me was a short story first. In the short story, it's really the nastiest short story I've ever written. And it and the coach character is is much nastier yeah. in it. And um, there was no way I wanted to live with her or any of the girls. And Beth was much darker. It was it, is it the first part of Dare Me that was the short story? Where there's uh, the kicking of the gut and all that stuff? Or? Uh, no, no. It, it, it's quite different. Okay. Well, I mean, certain elements are the same. The motel part, yeah, there's certain yeah. elements that are the same, but... But, I should have tracked this down before yeah, talking no, to you. I no, apologize. You wouldn't, you wouldn't I didn't even know, know it was about it. Story. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, but it was like I wouldn't have wanted to live with any of these women, any yeah. of the three main women, for m longer than that story. I was so ready to be done with it when it was over. And I, I do that a lot. My short stories tend to be nastier for yeah. that reason. Um, but it's, for a, it's a manageable evil. You can yes, right, exactly. I can contain it and I can put it away. But but when I, writing this, like a nice book, little present to send to the boss. Exactly. Yeah. When it's gone, and then I, <laughs> yes, yeah. well. Um, but uh, as I wrote this, for instance, I thought Addie would be my good girl and Beth would be the bad girl and Coach would be sort of in the middle. And in the end, I, I sort of fell totally in love with Beth and, and Addie's more complicated than she appears and yeah. Coach has her reasons. So everything sort of got, you know, I, I you know, everything, I think for a book, you, you don't want to be in such a dark place for so long without without seeing yourself in that, understanding how you could get in that dark place. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, the level of texting in this, um, you know, how did you manage this? Because yeah. it's, as I have said, yeah. the, a, a good portion of the novel is populated with text messages. Yeah. Uh, I'm wondering, how did you get that over the course of several drafts, the yeah. right amount of texting? Mm -hmm. Because it is both overwhelming at times, yeah. but at the same time, you know, it's pretty manageable and it's pretty real. You you believe that the texting does not get in the way of, of advancing the action or the dialogue and so right. forth. I mean, you have that early moment where Coach confiscates all the cell phones, right. but that doesn't stop the texting from going yeah. along. Yeah, there can, yeah. you cannot stop a teenage girl from texting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I I guess it was it was a del delicate at first. I, I did sort of toy with the balance. Um, because I, you know, honestly, you know, I wouldn't, I would have done less of it if I could have, but, but then it did become like a trick, you know, it became, it became a, a tool of my own rather than a tool just of theirs, um, and it did just feel like it felt like a way to, you know, in in our lives, I'm sure this is true for you as well. Your phone is a person; <laughs> it becomes a person because you're so much of your life starts to revolve around. I'm going to shock know? you. I don't actually have oh a phone. Oh my God! You 
Um, that's gonna that's gonna probably change. I've gone without a phone this long How? precisely for that reason. Well, it should be because it's ruined my life. <laughs> let me tell you. I, I generally have a laptop on me and I steal some Wi-Fi and I, I do it that way. But now, but when yeah. you're when you're in a place where are you con- do you find yourself frequently like where's the Wi-Fi? How am I gonna charge? Not my really. Laptop? I mean, See? sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. I mean, there's this there's this essential hunter gathering skills that we have, yeah. which we had before cell phones, yes. where you could find people in a crowd and, yes. and actually locate them. I mean, we walked in, we found you. Okay. Yes. Yeah. No cell phones were involved in the course of this operation. No. Now sometimes I will borrow a cell phone or use a cell phone for these interviews. Yeah. But, for, but by and large, I, I mean, I think I, that I, that's I, it's smart. something to be resisted. I think it should absolutely but, be resisted. Yeah. I have not. I have completely but can it succumbed. Be entirely, you know? No, I don't know. And once you have it, you can't. It is. It is there. It's talking to you all yeah. the time, yeah. and it is your best friend and worst enemy. You know, it's. Um, and I think for teenage girls. For high school students in general, um, you, you used to be able to, in our day, when we were... Um, when Back we in our had, day. Yeah, when we would leave school, all the and terrors... And six miles in the snow uphill, exactly. I know. All the terrors of the day, you could put them away when you got home. Yeah. And no one could bother you there. And you were free. That is no longer true. Yes, it is. You want to know how, how? how it's... It's something called the off button. Have you no, heard of this? I don't, I don't yeah. think that's possible for high school students for high today. School, yeah. that, that's what I mean. I don't think they've chosen this. Yeah. And, I, and I don't think... They, They're they not don't, aware you know. that there's a choice. Exactly. Yeah. And and so they go on Facebook. They go on, you know, on Twitter. There, They have their texts. And, and there's no way to really shut it off. And even if they do shut it off, there's still people talking about them on there. Yeah. Or, do, or posting things on their wall. Or, you know, it's so intrusive and, and oppressive. Um, and for adults, too, and who, who absolutely. participate in the exact same behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you come to crave it, too, because it's also attention. And I think for, for girls, too, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a desperation for attention, especially girl cheerleaders are supposed to be spectacles anyway. Yeah. They're supposed to be drawing attention. So, so, so it became this sort of, it can, became interesting to me, in other words, yes. um, as, as how hard it is, again, to be a teenage girl. But what's interesting is that, really, the cheerleaders in this book, they are only texting each other. They're not really yeah, texting no. other people outside their bubble. They seem to be impervious to that kind of attention, yeah. aside from the fact, like, well, we walk in the halls, we are the cheerleaders. Yeah. They pay attention to us, yeah. which is totally understandable, but but they're largely impervious to that in this book. So why do you think, why is that? Well, I wanted them to be kind of like like a gang. Yeah. And they don't yes, care they about are. anybody else, you know. And I wanted also, it's really important to me that they had no real interest in boys. Um, when you're on pep, you're on pep all the way. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, you know, because there's this idea, too, and this is sort of the cheerleader ideal, that they're cheering boys on, and they're only doing it for boys, and it's all for the boys. You know, there's a, I think there's a real reason. I was just in England, and we were talking about why cheerleading didn't happen there as it did here, and when it started to happen, which is post-World War II. Let's hear it for the boys, you know, <laughs> and that's when cheerleaders became no longer so frequently co-ed, but came much more all-girl squads yeah. and football rows. And I think it was this idea that this is this is girls supporting their men, um, and that's not really how cheer is now. You know, serious cheerleading squads. The games are just practice for tournaments, yeah. you know. And so I wanted to, so that that sort of became another element that they don't much like women in, in gangster novels sideline you know yeah. just just so uh, you know you're, you're useful for certain purposes but after 15 minutes then you know <laughs> that's, really, that's really it you know so i wanted it to be like yeah, like yeah. that well i mean but on the other hand going back to the original question yeah. i asked you i mean 
you know, we do see that football players do move in on cheerleaders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I saw this in high school when I was yeah. growing up, and I, I watched the football players, and I watched the cheerleaders. I, I knew a few. I, ta- yeah. I talked to They were actually much smarter than people people remember. There was one I, I remember by the name of Erica Young. I'm not sure she's ever going to listen to this. <laughs> she, like, we talked about the Godfather movie. She was really yeah. super nice. She yeah. was like in honors classes and so forth. Yeah. Um, cheerleaders are actually a lot smarter than people give them credit for. But anyway, personal aside, um, you know, the idea of, of football players moving yeah. in on that territory, I saw a lot of that. Yeah. It still goes on today. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm wondering, I totally get what you were doing here by yeah. showing, yes, the cheerleaders here are a gang. They are independent. They are yep. discreet. Um, why do you think you couldn't have th- shown some of that integration with football player culture? Because you mm-hmm. do a lot of military culture, but not so much the football players, yeah. even at the game. And, and I'm wondering, you know, couldn't you have made the exact same case that they are a gang by also including some of the football players? Why did you try? Yeah, it uh, no, I mean, I, I don't. I think in a school where there are national guardsmen, no teenage girl is going to be any more interested in the football player. Yeah. You know, they these are girls who are on to the next thing, and I think once those national guardsmen are standing in their hallway, they are men, and they can buy them beer, and they can rent hotel rooms, and they are awesome, and and you know, and and you know, coach you know has their eye, and this is where they want to be, and I and I rem- it was sort of you know I. Rem- I remember being in high school and you wanted the 25 year old you didn't want the football you wanted the football player when you were 13 yeah when you were 16 you wanted the college guy that could play guitar well you know? sure I, I totally yeah. get that but but and inevitably there aren't as many college guys because of this thing called statutory rape <laughs> so I, you know I don't so, think that's ever stopped a high school girl from dating uh, a college guy no but it also you know it is it is um it is also you know um this particular moment that's happening for them with these guardsmen and I think they get they're very caught up in that um, and and very excited by it it's very titillating because they're also competing for attention and really these girls are competitors yeah. and they can get any football player they want and they probably had them all you know but these are the new these are the fresh meat much, you know much like a, a gang but so think. but you were more interested I think in setting up a hyper real environment than a real environment hence yeah. all the smoking and the drinking mm-hmm. that goes on with coach and the girl too, yes. um, which is very, I mean, very noirish, by yes. the way. But uh, so, so you, th- you, you were willing to go ahead and, um, uh, at the expense of reality, to get the environment you wanted to have that smoking and drinking. True, though I don't think that's at the expense of reality because one of the one of the reasons I wrote the book is that the coaches tend to be only about ten years older than yeah. the girls, and, th- and there had been all these scandals, and still have every few months so, where such coaches as partying with their cheerleaders. Such as what scandals? Um, Any specific ones? Several. I mean, constantly, um, where they sort of you know after and it's teachers too, but yeah. coaches I think much more so because usually the age is much closer and frequently cheerleading coaches used to be cheerleaders at that school yeah um so i think that they're so close to peers that 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 can become dangerous um so i'm just you know i that element really interested me and i and i think it happens all the time and i it, you know, more frequently, even than the news, than when it erupts into a front page story. But of course, the other thing is also whenever cheerleaders are involved, it's always a front page story. Yes. You know? Going back to the football versus cheerleading yeah. comparison, um, there have been a lot of stories in recent years about how football is extremely dangerous, yeah. the head injury debate right, and right, so right. forth, among a lot of sports columnists yeah. and so forth. Um, 
This book shows that cheerleading is just as physically dangerous. There are a lot of really terrible falls. Yeah. I don't want to give anything away. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I want to ask, you know, how did you figure out the physicality yeah. if you were only having a sort of online-oriented form of mm -hmm. research? I mean, yeah. you know, did you actually, like, try to practice a few of the moves no. on your own or anything like no. that? Um, yeah. how, how were you aware of just the sheer brutality which mm -hmm. I which I mean enjoyed is kind of a, uh, a, a sick word but I, yeah. I I was enthralled shall we say uh, by yeah. that so you know what did you do to, to get that physicality just absolutely pitch perfect yeah I, I the, the, like the great gift to me that I found in the research I was kept watching their stunts and seeing them fall and reading the stats it's the most dangerous sport for girls yeah. it's almost as dangerous as football is for boys because yeah. of the spine obviously um, but that was only getting me so far um, um, but I I found the, the, them posting their injuries, photos of their injuries, and then x-rays. This literally X-rays you could solve X-ray. No, they would post that. They posted the x-rays. Wow. And photos of, of their wounds, and then they would talk about them. And they would talk this about This is just things. like football players. Exactly. Yeah. And and Marines, you know, showing their war wounds. I mean, I remember, you know, my uncle, you know, coming back from Nam and show, pulling his leg out and showing, <laughs> yeah, you know. Every variation of the Jaws <laughs> exactly. in real life, but even Worse. Exactly. Yeah. And so these girls were doing the same thing and they would talk in great detail about the physical, like how the fall worked, you know, what happened, who didn't hold, which, you know, it was like, like oh, such wow. a gift. So you had everything. I had it all. The, the thing that was hardest for me is that I've never written action scenes before. Yeah. And, and doing, describing stunts was the big challenge. Um, and I had to actually watch a lot of, I had to watch coaches talk to their cheerleaders and say things about how to make a stunt hold, how to, what to do, you know, and, and then really sort of step back and think about about it. And that, that was that was my biggest challenge. I've never written anything like that. Is, is this why, and this is going to be my wonkiest question yeah, yeah. Uh, of this session, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. Um, there are far more verbs in this book than in any of your other books. I, and I was like, wow, I can even cite some examples so oh, that please. our listeners no, no. know. Like, for example, Beth and me wedge tight, jean legs pressed against each other. Or later on, everybody whoops and woohoos, jumping <laughs> on the bleachers, grabbing each other around the necks like the ballers do. Five verbs in there. <laughs> yeah. so, so the thing, the thing I noticed was, wow, she's really getting the physicality through these verbs, and I'm wondering if the verbs serve as kind of mechanism for you to write what apparently was yeah. something totally brand new in terms of this action. Yeah. yeah, no, that's really interesting. I think that's quite true. I found myself using, I mean, you always used, was more of the, you know, gleaming and, you know, yes. like more, those are my words from other books and, you know, oh, and glistening. glistening, exactly. <laughs> this was a whole different set of words and these, and, you know. What did was, you do to find the words? It, and the, the thing is I kept finding ones that I kept repeat. It was very hard to get different words because oh, yeah. of like the, the way the limbs would sort of, you know, like twang and pluck and pull, you know, like there's certain ones I kept having, you know, and, and my editor, she because kept saying, "You cannot yeah. use this." You know, you're, you're more of a, of a of a noun and adjective person, exactly. and then you you have to find the right verbs, exactly. and it has to be persuasive, absolutely, and you have to sell the action. Exactly, and you can't and you can't sound like Sports Illustrated. I mean, Sports <laughs> Illustrated is great, but you know, that, well, I that's, mean, Sports Illustrated was a perfectly legitimate place to mine from. Yes. I would think. Yeah. Yes, no, and I'm sure. 
I'm sure I did. <laughs> I well, did you, did you read any other cheerleading novels to get these things? I, I read a very good book about um, competitive college cheerleading. A sort of, uh, it was sort of a nonfiction book came out a few years ago called Cheer, um, and that was very helpful, especially in terms of some of the the training. Um, uh, though that's co-ed, which to me would be such a sellout. I never would have written a book about a co-ed, co-ed cheerleading. <laughs> if you can have a man holding you up there, it's not the same at all. Um, well. And, you know, well, it may actually be enhanced. <laughs> yeah. I would say. Well, yeah. So that's <laughs> depending upon what your inclinations are. I suppose yeah. that's true. Yes. No. no. <laughs> so um, so that that helped with some of that, but uh, but a lot of it was was almost using the fact that I know nothing about sports really. I like baseball. I like hockey, you know, but I don't. I really know anything about sports. That that became a way. Like I had to sort of create the language for myself somehow, and yeah. so it sort of made me have to write differently. You were pioneering on the cheerleading. Verbs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, okay, so 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 how did how did you and your editor work out what was a legitimate verb? That's like uh, totally totally well, wonky. But my, I, I no, yeah. my my editor was was always very generous with that. The copy editor, on the other hand, oh dear. Is, is where, yeah. I noticed the twittering instead of tweeting. So yeah, I was going to ask you about that. She she was a great copy editor because she actually caught caught some serious stuff because consistency is so important with the stunts. Like I kept kind of calling something a two one one pyramid and then two two one, you know. And (laughs) and she was great at catching all that. But she, but she, and she was very generous with the weird verbs. But at a certain point, she would she would sort of flag me because I used so many, so many, and and then I would stat stat. They have to be there, you know, because I wanted it to have its own patois. Yeah. And because all. All internal cultures, cults, sports, all these things have their they own have patois. Their language, yeah. Right, exactly. I was just watching Slapshot recently. Because I have hockey in my next book. <laughs> and and they have their whole way of speaking. And it, it's so great. And Did I, you watch not, The Mighty Ducks, too? No, I haven't watched that. I've heard that's not, it's not it's so not, bad. It's not that bad, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. I like, actually, I will it's confess, not, I do like The Mighty Ducks. It's all right. Yeah, yeah, you like years. Sla- so how about Slapshot? Huh? Have you seen Slapshot? I have, I have actually you, not seen you Slapshot. You would love it. I know. It's like deep I, I've 70s. been warned away by Slapshot, though. It's I, people really? have, yeah, someone warned me away from it, but I, I don't know if I can entirely trust them. If you, I'll trust your word over it's there. It's total 70s grit yeah. and and filth, and it's, it's written by a woman. Yeah, it's, that's it's right. It's very rare. Um, who, who wrote that? I can't remember her name, but her her brother was a hockey player, and it's sort of loosely based on on, on their league. And I remember watching it as a kid, and like, my brother was, he was a real athlete, and and, and I wanted to be a part of that. I always loved the subculture of a, of a sport, a squad, a team, you know. So that I wanted it to be the way anyone like that, they start talking in this language that they wouldn't ever use. I don't want to press you too much in the details of your yeah. notes. It's a very boorish thing for an interviewer to do. No, no. But I, I do want to ask, you know, so hockey is the next one. Yes. So sports is the kind of, uh, is kind of some sort of link between your early books and what mm-hmm. you're going to move into uh, is, is it really just a matter of I guess being so intoxicated by this action this language it must be I'm sort of puzzled by it myself because I had field yeah. hockey and now cheerleading and then, and then hockey isn't sort of it's sort of a side thing in this thing but I guess as sort of as someone who has no physical capacity at all and sometimes can't walk across the room gracefully I always very nothing really you know I have nothing I got nothing um, not I even can, like I a good ride, ping pong I game I can ride a bike I, I have ping pong in the I next book that. actually yeah, I, I, I do foosball you're good yeah. at that foosball that would be good okay now I'm yeah, well, I think part of it is tennis. That I, Are we willing to go on the line there? Or? I don't know if I feel the tennis. 
I has to come there. It has to be more of a Michigan sport. I think I these see. are the things I watched as a kid and, and envied. But I do think you're right that there's something about the the action of it. You know, there's a dynamism to it. I've just and you know, so if I you know. And and there is a kind of gang. I mean, maybe that is the carryover from noir. There's a there's a gang element to all of it. The yes. were, the, and and a power and power. Yeah. So maybe that is the carryover. It's really interesting. What about political power? Have you thought of like writing like an absolute, like eye of the needle type of thing or something? I have thought a bit about doing something, especially what if uh, you know like fifties. 50s yeah. um, Cold War stuff yeah, is yeah. always really interesting, especially women in that time. And um, I have thought about that. Maybe someday. Maybe tennis will feature in that one. <laughs> you can write the first tennis espionage that's novel. That's right. Yes. That's right. <laughs> well, that seems a good way. Yes, <laughs> Megan, great. thanks so much. A pleasure as always to chat. Thank you. It was great. Thank you. Way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? 